Hey folks, you are dropping in on part two of our conversation. Top five games getting us through quarantine here. Uh, we got through placements fifth, fourth, and third before taking that uh, episode break. Nate's top five, four, three were Fire Emblem Three Houses, Tomb Raider Classic Series, and Streets of Rage 4. And my five, four, three was Slay the Spire, Earthbound as a amateur speedrunner, and Spiritfarer. Now that you're all caught up, let's get back to the action with our second place finishers. Coming in at number two on my list is Heroes of the Storm. Nate, are you surprised that this game is on my list? No, I'm not surprised that that game is on your list because I also play Heroes of the Storm. And anytime I ask you for advice, you drop a encyclopedia on my head. I love it. I am very grateful for it. It is a level of depth that I cannot imagine achieving. So the the fact that it's on your list does not surprise me because I can only imagine the countless hours you've devoted to making this game work for you. I don't want to know how many hours it's been. So if, for those that don't already know, Heroes of the Storm is a MOBA, a multiplayer online battle arena produced by Blizzard Entertainment, which was just purchased by Microsoft earlier this month. And it is a, it's like League of Legends, it's like Dota 2, but it's for the Blizzard IP. That's Warcraft, Starcraft, Overwatch, Diablo, and then they're in some of their 1990s console uh, releases anyways. I've been playing an awful lot. I used to play a lot of League of Legends. That was a long time ago, but I've been playing Heroes of the Storm for the last five years or so. And when the pandemic started, at about May of 2020, I was invited to join a team for an amateur league called NGS. NGS stands for Nexus Gaming Series. And uh, I play a lot of healers, and heal, which makes me a healer main. And healer mains are fairly rare. You don't see very many of them, at least in my experience. And um, the young man uh, assembling the team needed a healer main, and I said, yes, I'll join. The other members of the team uh, were part of this Heroes of the Storm Discord that I'm an admin of. It's called HOTS Coffee Bar. HOTS is, of course, the acronym Heroes of the Storm. Coffee Bar is like hot coffee. It's a little... It's a little joke there. Anyways, um, we're called Caffeinated Nights, and it just seemed like we have this quarantine uh, thing that we're grappling with. This is, of course, um, you know, spring 2020, joining this team, regular practices, regular matches that we all just play remotely. Um, and it's and, and it seemed like a pretty neat way to increase our skill of the game. And and so I'm not just naming Heroes of the Storm because it's a MOBA I like to play. It's because over the last two years, I've escalated my involvement in the game by joining this team. Uh, I played for a couple seasons, and we did really well. Um, the, the way in which the NGS is tiered, there are a variety of divisions. The highest division is Storm. So take Storm, put them in a completely different bucket. That's like, those are the folks that wish they had, that wish they still had the esports scene that Blizzard canceled a handful, or, you know, a couple of years ago. Behind Storm, there's Heroic, Nexus. And then A, B, C, D, E, and I think it ends at E. Um, we started in B and we decimated them. And then they put us up to A and we did pretty good in A. And then they leveled us up to Nexus. And I played one season of Nexus. And after that, I felt 
felt like I was getting too serious in the game, wanted to uh, take a step back, felt like I learned an awful lot, and I definitely um, brought up a, a handful of my healers to a pretty fairly competitive level. But now, today, I am just a sub for that team. However, the main string of that team are now in Heroic Division, which is just below that, that eSports wannabe division. So, Caffeinated Knights have, do, have been doing pretty damn well for themselves. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to some of the main folks in there too. Uh, Ark, the Captain, Osmanthus, the Tank, Love Dart, um, a, an assassin who is now occupying my former role as healer. Grey Color, um, who is a, an assassin savant, and then there are other subs as well. Anyways, so I've been taking that kind of relaxed and slowly um, since since stepping stepping back, and I kind of appreciate that. It allows me to get involved in other hobbies like this podcasting thing. But I'm still involved with NGS because I'm a caster as well. I'm one of I've decided that I'm going to do some some casting of these teams. Okay, so NGS it, it's a highly structured, organized uh, amateur league that has seasons maybe three times a year and you can have those matches casted you know best of threes best of fives when you get into the postseason and you can cast them on twitch and i have a twitch channel and i've got a microphone and i've got my obs all set up for special scenes and i have assets like team logos and and other and other things like that and and i started dabbling in casting where i'm i'm describing what's going on uh, on the screen as as these teams are are playing out as an as an observation sort of role and the Occasionally, I'll have a, another another caster with me if I feel like it. I'm not allowed to cast my own team. I can't cast my own caffeinated knights. However, if a match has been casted and I'm given the replay files and nobody's casted it when it was occurring live, I can do a retroactive cast for my own team. But I'm just happy to get any cast I possibly can. And casting's pretty fun because I get to kind of muse about what's going on on the screen. I, as the draft is taking place, I get to kind of uh, deduce what these teams might be thinking about as teams are selecting talents. Why are they picking that talent? Why are they picking that ultimate? Why are they rotating around the map like that? I'm sure there are a lot of folks out there that think League of Legends is better, and and you can make the argument um, why Dota 2 is better, and all of those sort of things. But I I'm awful fond of Heroes of the Storm. It's it's certainly uh, I've been pretty invested in it in recent years, and uh, I don't see really see myself stopping. Although I have relaxed my involvement in in a in highly organized play in the last uh, six or nine months or so, um, and and uh, yeah. So between getting involved in an amateur team getting involved in amateur leagues and casting that's been occupying a lot of time uh during the in the last two years and nate you and i play uh occasionally as well yeah we uh we play together and i um i don't know i don't know the ins and outs of the game as deeply i have like three or four characters i just focus on and I, you know there's certain uh heroes that come up against where i have literally no idea what they do i just want to bash their face in and that's about it but um it's i find it a much more relaxed easily playable version of the moba genre because i did play league of legends as well and kind of dialed into that game pretty hard and just kind of found myself bouncing off of the community the changes that you know every season had a new like massive degree of changes 
just other things that were kind of holdovers from the fact that Defense of the Ancients was like a custom game built on a hired ass old machine or you know platform uh, of how it was made and these mechanics are still in the like inspired games years later it's just like i don't know i there's elements where it's like i just want to hop in and pick a game or, or pick a character play a game and be done with it and not dwell on it too heavily after the fact um so yeah, I, I definitely enjoy it for it's it's not a simple game by any means, but it's accessible. You know, you can hop into the game and start pushing some buttons and having a good time very quickly. If anybody wanted to follow me on Twitch, I am twitch.tv slash harborim1. That's H-A-R-B-O-R-Y-M number one. Sounds good. Uh, question for you in your casting. I remember watching professional league games with casters and all that stuff. And just in the chat, it would be nonstop. This caster doesn't know what they're talking about. They're they're a moron, blah, blah, you know. Have you gotten any blowback on your casting? Or is uh, it more supportive in the HOTS community? I haven't gotten much blowback. And I don't think I'm very good. I, I am ripe for blowback. Because I'm, okay. I'm still learning how to speak on the fly. There are some sort of conventions that you, that you follow as a game plays out. For example, when a when a match starts, you want to give the roll call. So in, on the blue side, we've got this hero on this character, this person on this hero, and this person on this hero, and this person on this hero, and in the red trunks, and so on, and discussing talents, discussing ultimates, and things like that. Um, I'm I feel like th there's no pause button for the for the caster, right? And so you've you've got this this handful of things you want to say. But you're kind of at the whim of the action going on on the screen. And so while you may want to talk about, oh, why Sylvanas picked this ultimate instead of the other one, a fight has broken out. And so you need to stop and start discussing the fight as it's happening. And and um, reacting dynamically to that is something I'm still developing. And so uh, and 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 you've you've got to know me well enough. And while we're doing this casting here is I, I do st I stammer occasionally and I and, and sometimes I'm at a loss for words. And, and that happens in the cast, too. I haven't gotten much blowback for it. If I do I'm it's it's honestly it's fair game but then again I'm I'm learning and I think when I started casting it was in the very end of the last season and so coming into the next one which is beginning on January 31st here um, I'm feeling like I've gotten the kind of the newbie yaya's out and I'm, I'm gonna feel like I'm gonna get a little more uh, more familiar and be a little more straightforward with the cast there and you know what? If someone's a real jerk, I can ban them. I can mute them. There's a lot of tools at hand that I have. All right. So my number two is Death Stranding, the walking simulator itself. Uh, it's a little bit of a in-joke. I'm not sure what your experience is with what you've heard about Death Stranding. And I, I've read a lot of the hype, never played it, haven't bought it, very much like Three Houses. Tell mm -hmm. me about it. All right, so Death Stranding is uh, Hideo Kojima's first game after breaking with Konami, a very large, dramatic, public uh, display of everyone essentially coming to the conclusion like, hey, F Konami for being a terrible company and terrible to their developers and everything. But uh, he came away from that with a exclusive deal with PlayStation uh, to develop a new game with a new IP and it, it uh, 
about a year after that, they announced they were making Death Stranding. Uh, the trailer was classic Kojima, just hype of it's mysterious, it's got a wonderful soundtrack, it's got incredible Im imagery, it's just like, you're left with this sense of wonderment and questions and what the hell even is this game? I have no idea what the game is, you know? And then later trailers would come out and it's just him walking around a mountainside. We have no idea, like, wait, what? what is the game, you know? So the game comes out and a sizable portion of the internet uh, just kind of lambasted it as not a real game. It's a walking simulator. You're you're an Amazon package delivery man. It's you know it's terrible. It's a joke. Whatever. But there's a separate section of the internet who really found the means by which to appreciate what it was trying to do. Um, and, and it's interesting because. The overall story of the game is this uh, catastrophe has happened to the United States, which has led people to quarantine themselves inside bunkers and be reliant on delivery men for all of their basic needs to come to their little protected bunker to brave the, the post-apocalyptic wilds of the U.S. There is a condition where uh, rain falls upon the uh, ecosystems of the u.s that have been obliterated most cities are destroyed except for a handful of them but this rain that falls uh it will rapidly age you if you do not have appropriate protective covering if you're out and in the open to oh the my point god where, yeah you can die immediately if you're not protected uh secondly there are pockets where there are um the main thing you'll run into as, as a potential threat in Death Stranding is uh, things called BTs or beached things. They are shadowy figures that are, as far as I can tell, in a state of uh, stuck between the afterlife and the existing world. Uh, the, the current phenomenon that has destroyed the planet has kind of brought the afterlife closer to us in a sense to where it's a measurable scientific phenomenon at this point. And so beings that are have died and are stuck in this state are in a place called the beach, which interacts with our physical world. And so if you encounter an area with BTs in it, you uh, need to creep along slowly, uh, watch, your, watch the amount of noise you're making, um, and the you know you can you can interact with terrain that might alert them to your location very reminiscent of certain metal gear solid mechanics also a kojima game but if they find you they will rush towards you they will uh, black gooey oily hands will creep up from the ground and try and drag you in to their dimension as well this is a scary moment Yes, definitely. It, there is a definite horror-inspired aspect of this. And, and interestingly enough, um, before this game was slated to be made, before Kojima was released with from Konami, he was working with uh, Walking Dead actor uh, Norman Reedus to make a horror game based on the Silent Hill series. Norman Reedus is the main character, or playing the main character of Death Stranding as well, so I feel like there's a little bit of overlap of 
ideas and thoughts that they were working on together that kind of made them their way into Death Stranding as well. But it's funny because at the end of the day, you're looking at a game where everybody's quarantining in an America that experienced a catastrophic event, and you're doing your best to keep your distance from those who have been lost to the the event or the infection. And this came out five months before uh, March of 2020, you know? So I was still playing it well into the uh, quarantining phase of our uh, real-world uh, experiences. So uh, that, for me, was kind of a... It's a game where its message and themes resonated in that time of feeling that isolation. Now, there's a whole other topic to get into here of uh, the director was criticized for... He made a statement that he is creating a new type of game, and it's a strand-type game, right? So Death Stranding, the idea of the strand. Uh, In our recent podcast, we talk about how uh, the chapters of... Um, Xenoblade Chronicles, each chapter has a very specific theme. Like in chapter 2, they can't stop talking about faces. In chapter 3, they can't stop talking about changing fate. It permeates every moment of you know, that experience. So, in Death Stranding, the game is all about connections. And uh, a strand is a piece of rope or you know, whatever that brings people together. There's also the idea of stranding, which is whales uh, washing up on beaches as they're about to die. The beach, that's the afterlife of the game. All these things that it's incredibly difficult to explain to you over a podcast. But he, he decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coin this the strand-type game. Now, the internet had a field day with that as well, saying that he's so arrogant to think that he made this new type of game that no one else has ever done before. And, uh, like, popular uh, YouTube commentator, Dunkey, who I love watching his videos, uh, his assessment was, hey, it's just Breath of the Wild. You're just you're ex- climbing up mountainsides and walking around a, a giant open world. It's just Breath of the Wild, you know. But I have to explain what the Strand-type game is and how I think he actually accomplished what he set out to do. Every single part of this game is about connections. So. As you go into the world, you have zero connections. You have, you don't have vehicles. You don't have anything. So when you start off, this game is actually really hard and really annoying. You have to carry these packages through this apocalyptic hellscape. And the terrain is rough. You have no stamina. Your guy sucks at his job. <laughs> like... It's it's pretty punishing to play and slow and monotonous, right? But then you finally make your first delivery and you get to a point where you you bring a certain area up of to to the region you're in linked into a neural network which is linked into the main hub city where humans live now. Now, this place is linked into the network, you can now see the efforts of other package deliverers that are playing with you other players in the game now you're not seeing them live you're not having interactions with them per se but they can leave all sorts of messages notes uh things all over to give you advice on how to make this punishing inhospitable world better right and then as you progress 
you have the ability to develop technology. So you can develop uh, shelters to shelter you from these uh, aging rains that uh, come by. Oh, by the way, also the the rains that uh, rapidly age you, they also rapidly age your packages that you're carrying. So the packages on your back will start to rust and decay and break down as if they've experienced thousands of years of life, you know? Hmm. Um, so you, you can't stay out there for long. Even if you've got the equipment to survive it, your packages cannot be coated in this equipment. It's very expensive. They have very little resources to create the thing that's keeping you from dying in the rain. But anyway, so you can build shelters to protect you from the rain. Uh, but other players shelters will show up on your map. Once you're linked into that area, other players bridges over rivers will start to show up on your map. You'll see ladders discarded that you can use to climb up a cliffside. All of these different elements connecting you to other people playing the game. Now, if I build some of the stuff, I start to notice that I'm getting Facebook likes from other players who used my stuff as well. And we're glad that I left it behind. Um, I can gather resources and use it to build roads that eventually I can drive a motorcycle down loaded up with packages. So that's just an, an early stage introduction and the connections you can make in the game and how connectivity is the device by which this inhospitable punishing world is conquered. It's not you being the best gamer, you being incredibly skilled, or, you know, like we were talking about speed runs earlier. That those things, your skill as a gamer isn't the, the contributing factor. It is the overall contributions of the player base at large is what's conquering this game for you. So other package carriers are occupying the game world you're playing in as well? Yes, not to the point where it's like a, a live online game where I'm watching them run around. I, I don't see the other players like physical bodies, but whenever I interact with the world, like I said, you know, I, I drop a ladder or I build a bridge or or maybe I just contribute resources to build the bridge, but not all of the resources because I don't have them all myself. I'm contributing to a global count or my my tools are showing up in another player's game. So that's kind of how it works. That's pretty interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And there are certain places too where you know you think, oh, this is gonna be the best way to get there. And then all of a sudden you you see on the map there's all of these alert icons of people that left messages of do not go here. And it's because there are BTs in that area and you will quickly be found and grabbed by monsters, you know. So all of these little things to contribute to kind of a network social scape of this is how the game becomes playable is through connections. You know, and by the end of the game, it's it's like an a scaling experience you know you at the beginning of the game walking through a river is so incredibly gruesome that when you finally you are able to develop a pair of robotic legs for yourself or, or just like leg braces that can give you a little bit more horsepower through walking through tough terrain it feels so satisfying to get those things and like feel like i conquered this i can do this now i am so happy right 
But then later, when you're walking through a a giant mountainous snowstorm, you need different tools and you need to find the means to acquire and develop those tools. So it's it keeps scaling up and it keeps delivering that satisfaction of conquering new things to the point where in the end of the game i've i'm building entire highways with the resources i'm gathering i'm raiding enemy camps the enemies are called mules and they are people who they steal packages and use it for their sustenance instead of relying on the uh generosity of cities and the overall community they are thieves so in order to finish some of these highways i needed a larger amount of resources beyond what the community was able to supply so i would be raiding mule camps and sneaking in trying to steal all their shit and take it back to my camp um i'm developing zip line systems through the through the snowy mountains because they can't really build roads there so you know, I see that another player has a zip line in a random area. Wouldn't it be great if there were two more that I could connect the entire mountainscape? And so I go about doing that. And then the next time I need to make a delivery out to this really remote location that's super hard to get to, it's that much easier. And uh, I think the game just for me, it was this like very engrossing experience of all of the personal feelings I had at the time of 2020 uh the the feeling of isolation and a desire to be connected uh story-wise immersion-wise everything this game just delivered on it and was really moving yeah it's got a great story as well i at the end of the game i i'm a bit of a sap so by the end of it when they all the reveals were done i was tearing up quite a bit at uh the conclusion of the story and uh, one last little interesting tidbit was uh, kind of as I hit my stride in that game, I would also play it while cycling on my elliptical. So in, in an extra layer of immersion, while I was running packages across the U.S., I was riding an, ellipt- an elliptical bike while playing as well so that I was feeling that same tension that my character was feeling in hoofing it. That is awesome. I should be doing that. Yeah, it's harder to do with other games, but like I said, this game, you know, people kind of criticize it as walking simulator, but it's another one of those ones where at times it can be relaxing. At times it can be just, you know, cathartic in ways because you don't have to be, you know, on top of your game, on your trigger finger, you know, amped up with it all of your chemicals flowing through your head at all the times you can just kind of lay back and soak it in so there were definitely moments where i was like hey i'm just gonna load this this guy up with 20 orders and have him carrying a fuck ton of packages and then i'm gonna hop on the elliptical and spend an hour delivering so i found that really enjoyable in the number one spot of tyler's list is stardew valley Mm The famous pixel art farming simulator released by Concerned Ape in 2016. The internet is jam-packed with all kinds of reviews and comments and subreddits about Stardew Valley. I'm not going to get too much into the interior of the game, but, uh, but I have a story I'd like to share about how it was relevant to surviving the last two years. My wife and I married in Colorado in October of 2019. And then we had our reception in February 2020, a couple months later. 
the middle of February of 2020, th that reception we had was like the last good thing that happened before we all went into quarantine. And so uh, with the money that we had uh, received in gifts from our reception, I bought one of the more updated um, Switch models, not the OLED model that came out in recent months, but you might recall that there was another one that was an upgrade. And so between my wife and I, there were two Switches. She inherited my old one and then I have the new one. And I, th I thought that during the course of the quarantine that we could cozy up and play a game together and stardew valley i was getting a sense that might be one that would that would work for us because she's not a she's not an especially um don't choose my words properly um technically skilled gamer um she doesn't want you know health bars and monsters that'll kill her although there are monsters and energy bars and health bars in stardew valley this more leisurely paced agricultural simulator was certainly up her alley and we could play it together. And so we started a farm and she handled certain parts of the farm. She certainly liked the livestock and I liked fishing and the, and the crops. Well, I mean, I don't know if I love planting crops, but I was more willing to plant a gazillion crops and, and, and water them all and pick them all while she go, while she would do her own things. And then of course you can, you can marry each other in the game. And we did that as well, which is kind of reminiscent of how we married each other in, in, you know, in recent months in real life. And over the course of maybe four months from, let's say March, 2020 to, to the summer, we logged about 400 hours of Stardew Valley um, on, on one farm. We got to about year four and then we stopped and started another farm in a different format. We did a second farm and we put in another, um, you know, another, you know, a couple hundred hours into that farm and got really far with that. And, and we decided to do the community center a little bit differently. The community center is this sort of meta achievement in which you produce a, a handful of items that are challenging to produce from a variety of different subsections of gameplay within Stardew to create this to create this community center. One way to do it is to to produce these items naturally. Another way to do it is to sell the community center to, we'll call them like the entrepreneurial corporate bad guys and just pay money to them to develop the same, to develop the community center, although it's a warehouse now. But the point is, is that once you create the community center, you unlock other parts of the game. And the original community center necessarily steers your the way in which you want to play the game in one way, which is more organic. And I do believe that your first farm should do it the regular way. But if you're feeling pretty experienced in Stardew Valley, you maybe you don't want to go through those necessary channels to accomplish this important goal of the game. Maybe you just want to play the game how you want to and just throw money at it based on however you made your profits. And that's what we did with the second farm. And, and we married again in the second farm. I'm not gonna get into all the gameplay and the mechanics and the romance and all that stuff because there's lots of resources out there to get into. But my personal experience with Stardew was that my wife and I could get really, really involved in this and she was super into it and we would just crush like weeks at a time uh, on some days. And and it was a lot of fun. Um, but after after crushing two farms over the course of several hundreds of hours, we kind of slowed it down there just in time for 1.5 to come out. And uh, update 1.5. Oh my goodness! So so concerned. A this, 
Nate, this game's $15, and it is constantly being updated, constantly being patched. And a handful of months ago, patch 1.5 came out in which they patched a massive uh, expansion to the game. You, you, you could pay another $15 for the amount of value you're getting for this extra expansion where there's a, next, uh, a, a, a tropical island that you, can, that you can go to and there's all sorts of extra quests and items and new fish to fish and new crops to plant and new whatevers to whatever. It is you and I and everybody listening and everyone around the world have spent $15 poorly. Mm -hmm. But you can also spend $15 on Stardew Valley and get hundreds and hundreds of awesome gameplay hours on it. Now, farming simulators aren't for everybody, but between my wife and I, we got a lot of mileage out of it. And that was probably one of the best $15 I've ever spent. I see it as more than just a farming simulator too. There's like, there's times where it was delivering a completely different kind of game for me. We would, uh, I'd look forward to rain days because I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to the mine now. Yes. Uh, and that was just a, that was a little bit more of a game that's up my alley. Uh, so to dial back, I played Stardew with my wife during the pandemic as well. Attaboy. For, for me, um, we, she, she has a campaign where she has like, you know, years and years and years under her belt. Um, and she has campaigns where, or playthroughs where she's got like six of them going at any time because of different friend groups where, you know, well, this person isn't available, so let's play this file instead, you know? So, uh, <laughs> she's been way into that, and I love it. For mine, I, you know, I kind of peter out once I get to the bottom of the mine, and then there's there's a lot of hoops to jump through to do the second mine that I would love to, but it, it's a little bit more conditional for that one. So, that part of the game is a little bit more up my alley but i still get a lot of satisfaction from the the other components as well where she really loves just dialing into the farm and doing the the animals and everything and being the the money maker uh another aspect that is really you know i could play any game that does this but you know there's the seasons where we run around and you just forage for items and uh, my foraging level is always way higher than hers because I really get into games that are like, you know, just about running around, gathering materials, chopping down trees and building things. So she she kind of will rely upon me to go run around, gather materials, and then she'll make all the, the decisions with said materials. And I think that that's great. It's a very it lends itself to cooperative play to the point where I almost wonder how did it not launch with it. But be, when you look at how it's like one guy or one guy and a couple friends, like it makes sense that it didn't launch with it. Cause that's a big undertaking, but man, is that game, it's got a lot to do. And the fact that they keep adding more, it's just like, wait, what is, what do you even do over here? Why is this space here? And then she, you know, gets into the, the explanation why I'm like, damn, I haven't even touched this part yet. So mm -hmm. I, I like it. Did you ever play Harvest Moon or any of those other farming simulator games that Stardew is inspired by? Only connected to other friends. I never had a go at it on my own. You know, I never had a copy of my own game or played it at my own pace or anything like that. It was always kind of experiencing it through friends. Mm -hmm. I played the original. Harvest Moon on Super Nintendo, and I also had Harvest Moon on the 
Game Boy, but that was that Game Boy one kind of sucked. The whole me- the whole town part of the game was just menuing. You, you wouldn't mm-hmm. navigate your here your character through the town. You would just highlight the blacksmith, go to the blacksmith, and then just navigate menus as if you were already walked up to the shopkeeper and whatever. Uh, but yeah, and so it's it's great. You could spend fifteen dollars in many worse ways. Think about it. Um, the yeah, the ne- the the follow up game is called the Haunted Chocolatier. You're you're a chocolate maker in I guess a haunted chocolate making operation. Don't know what it's coming out. Really looking forward to it. This game delivers on every aspect of what I like when I mean the term immersive. There are th- just so many things that when you do it, there's a way in which it's represented in the world or a an aspect of it that they're asking you to interact with and make a decision or gather a material or just, you know, make, I, I don't know how to say it, make an interesting video game decision, you know. And uh, what that what that does is it makes me invested in every aspect of it uh, to d- leveling up the the proficiency of your tools. It's not just something that automatically happens that, you know, hey, you've used this tool 100 times, so now you're automatically better at it. It's like, no, you got to gather the materials and go to the blacksmith and have the blacksmith improve that tool. I like that in video games. I like that most everything has a element that it's put in your hands and it's not just an automated dopamine kick or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even in those, some things that are a little bit more uh, straightforward, like let's say I do a lot of foraging or I do a lot of mining and I level up. Well, the game has moments where not only do they deliver perks for that, but they deliver opportunities for you to make a decision of which part of this do you want to dial into more. It's like that is just like video game gold for me. Uh, so I don't know uh, that is, this game is a very clear cut example to help make sense of things that I am going to explain that i like about other games especially when we're talking about xenoblade but um if i'm not explaining it well in other instances then maybe let's dial back to our discussion of stardew and that might help inform us of what i'm talking about all right my number one game which is uh not creative or uh compelling in the slightest but it is the game that i've spent the most time in and has delivered the most value for me is world of warcraft slash world of warcraft classic now it is kind of a dubious time to be talking about being a fan of world of warcraft on the internet but i'm gonna do it anyway so uh recently as we kind of joked about uh activision blizzard has been embroiled in uh turmoil from a human resources and i guess you just say respective human life standpoint and uh then as their stocks dropped in light of that they've been bought up by microsoft and so tyler and i talked about it extensively we don't know what that means for warcraft or hots but we're hoping for positive things we're hoping for positive change for multiple properties that we love and want to see get better. Uh, 
during the pandemic, I played live World of Warcraft, Battle for Azeroth, and Shadowlands in the time frame that of March 2020 to nearly March 2022 here. And uh, I do not share the same, like, extensive hatred that much of the online community has for the recent iterations of the game because I'm always able to find something I enjoy doing. Like, if a gearing system is unsatisfactory to someone to where they're raging on the internet about how the game's unplayable or terrible or it's ruined their entire life, I'm usually able to just ignore that system and still find enjoyment in the game because I mainly experience Warcraft through my own personal role-playing and my own personal curated experiences. So an example of that is I'm not reliant on random matchmaking or random members of the community I exclusively play with a group of friends, uh, my guild, that uh, I've done so for 10 years at this point. So I'm not really at the mercy of any of the problems of, well, your class isn't good enough. I can literally play whatever the hell I want and it won't matter. So those same gripes that other people will have of like, oh, my class never gets invited to this. I, I don't have to deal with those problems. So. I'm generally able to enjoy myself for those reasons. Um, and then when I'm a little burnt out on rating or, you know, progressing a certain character or whatever, I'm usually, you can find me hopping on a random alt in a inconsequential part of the game, diving deep into my personal lore, writing on a giant 300 page Google document, what this character means and why they are with doing what they're doing and i get a lot of satisfaction out of that but beyond that i think the biggest win for the warcraft brand and how i've engaged in it is wow classic because as i was talking about earlier the difference between nostalgia and a genuinely good game is pretty recognizable for me you know there's there's games i played as a kid like i mentioned that you, you get back in and you're like wow this sucks you know and that was a hundred percent not the case with jumping back into wow classic for me uh there's a very well-tuned pace of progression in the original iteration of warcraft where as you're playing as you're growing as you're discovering the world, you're taking on abilities, you're learning your class, you're taking on professions and developing those professions dynamically in each zone you're in. If you have the knowledge to keep up on them and understand how the game works, there's everything just kind of synergistically goes hand in hand and lends itself to your progression as a character. Uh, an example of this is something that was removed from the game and people gripe about is weapon skills. But I like having things that it's like, you know, I, I've been using a sword this whole time and my character is really good at a sword. But if he picks up a dagger, does he have a learned language of combat skills with a dagger? No, he's going to have to develop that fresh. And in the modern game, they see that as, well, that's just a barrier to you, video game player, to playing video game, right? 
And I I have a little bit of blowback on that because it's like, yes, I'm a video game player playing a video game, but I'm a role player wanting to role play as well. And that's why I'm playing an RPG is because it has those elements to it. Of I'm growing this character that I've made is important to me and I want to develop them as a character. And so every time over the last 15 plus years that they've removed a layer of that onion of growing a character and they just hand deliver it to you or say it's built into the game to a point where you'd even don't need to know that the element exists. That's unsatisfying to me. Another example of this is how hunters dealt with pets in the old classic WoW. It's you would you would tame these pets. You'd have to keep them happy. You'd have to know what foods they liked. Uh, as later iterations uh, expansions came out, they developed more in depth mechanics like a pet talent system and uh, investing more ways in to strengthen your bond to your pet and just in the modern game all that stuff is gone it's meant to be you know um more of like the esports experience like like heroes of the storm for example you you drop into a just like you would drop into a match of heroes of the storms and you kind of just pick whatever set of options you need to be the very best at that specific map uh set of heroes etc in WoW nowadays, you're just you have all of these tools to oh I'm doing this dungeon so I need to have these eight things perfectly lined up in perfect synergy or I'm gonna have a terrible time and hate the game. It's like none of that really existed back in the day, and I think the game's better for it, um, letting me express how I want to play the game through decision making, through moments of friction, through uh learning the character by doing making decisions for them like the talent tree for example uh every time you level up you get a point that helps you dial into what type of version of this class you want to be which makes you unique from the guy playing the same class next to you that's interesting to me and the game has stripped back all those layers over the years that's why I say that Classic is the best thing to come out of the series in recent years because it's made to me so apparent what I love about these games and other games in the genre as well. Uh, the, the best analogy I can think of is you've taken a, a piece of clay or a piece of wood with a, ro- a lot of rough edges to... And you you kept sanding down the rough edges, and now you just have a ball, right? And it's like, well, I can't build a house with a pile of balls. I need bricks, you know? And uh, that that's what I feel like the foundation of modern WoW and a lot of modern games is built on is a pile of balls. What race and class are you playing in, in Classic WoW? Uh, my first go at it, when it first came out, I was playing a human rogue. Uh, I have a character archetype that I've played for years. Her name is Valena, and she has a long, extensive backstory. I kind of feel like classic WoW playing human rogue has one of the best ways to interact with the, the game's world and story at large, because for humans, they're one of their primary struggles is that they are 
their their hub city stormwind is beset by corruption in the house of nobles their aristocracy is being controlled by dark shadowy forces and the the progression of the story is dependent on a lot of stormwind's spy network and um kind of digging into the nitty-gritty and figuring things out in order to progress that story of eventually saving your home country it goes there's hints of it and elements of that story starting at level one all the way to max level 60 that finally pay off in a in a big raid fight to uh take down the malicious figure at the center of it all and i feel like rogue is the best way to experience that at least just from an immersive standpoint because you you are part of you're you're more intrinsically connected to that spy network and a character archetype that would be kind of digging into conspiracies and shadowy uh actions right uh but recently uh with the release of burning crusade classic i tried doing a warrior human as well because uh i i mostly go with archetypes i have that transcends warcraft and in a lot of cases, uh, those archetypes are humans in my own personal fantasy stories. But so I repackaged one of my character archetypes and made a human warrior. But this time I started a completely new server and I gave myself the limitation of I cannot uh, buy any gear or items off the auction house as far as character power items. I need to either make them by being a blacksmith or uh, acquire them via questing or doing dungeons. And I will only do a dungeon once. I will never spam a dungeon for a specific item. So that is the limitation I gave myself to kind of uh, give myself a little bit more of a challenge or an immersive kind of slow burn experience. Uh, now for that blacksmithing, I can use the auction house to acquire materials that I cannot acquire myself. but. If the recipe requires a gold bar, I need to go out and find a gold uh, ore vein, or I need to hold on to that gold ore for quite a while and not sell it on the auction house myself. So that is a limitation I gave myself, and I've been enjoying it. That character is now level 37. been working on him for a while, but that's because I don't have an endgame goal for him. It's all, all about the moment-to-moment experience for that character and i personally love it mm -hmm. that sounds pretty challenging uh those conditions you put upon yourself to play um classic burning crusade while classic is pretty hard uh compared to retail as it is to put those extra conditions on yourself is you know for for your own immersion is is pretty uh commendable there i remember when i was playing classic wow i was a troll warrior I remember scraping every single penny together, every copper together that I had to afford anything. I don't even know if I could afford things on the auction house. If I did, it was a rare, a rare moment. Mm -hmm. And so I can, so from personal experience, I can imagine, you know, to, to what degree of DIY you're, you're putting yourself in. Yeah. And that, it really taps into kind of that same thing I was talking about with Death Stranding is you know, with modern WoW, when enemies don't pose a threat, there's not 
a sense of friction. You just kind of push buttons and things die, and you know you you pull six guys at once, and it's not a problem. You can just kill them immediately. That's modern WoW, and what it what it does is when you're leveling, when you're trying to experience the world through the eyes of this character, you know uh, you get a you get an option to spend one of now eight talent points. Uh, it's not nearly as a deep as it was before, and you look at that talent tree and you're like, it doesn't matter what I pick because nothing's a threat to me. Nothing matters. I don't care which one I pick because. I just press two buttons and everything dies anyway, right? Whereas in WoW Classic, because of what you experience, you know, how hard it was and how challenging it can be to pull the right enemies or not get overwhelmed in a dangerous area or whatever. When you pick your talents, you're going through that list. You're reading all of them and you're like, which one do I need (laughs) to do my role? Like, which one is going to help me the most to survive this world? And when you're crafting gear, you look at an item and it's like, this has three more strength. Hell yeah, I want this. I want to make this right now. Well, what can I do to have this sword? You know, it does 10 more damage on hit. And it's like, there's so many moments like that in the original game that just, I don't know. It, it, like I said, when you sand down every rough edge, just nothing matters. There's, uh, there is a level at which modern WoW is difficult, but it's at the very end of the game, and when it's it's when you dial up the difficulty to the absolute maximum level, and then you're just in this community of people where they're looking at every little point of you know how can we how can we get over this challenge by maximizing this stat and this number and everything it it's, becomes a spreadsheet game again for me and it's like i i don't feel like it was that way back in the day it was a group of people coming together with the the hand they were dealt seeing if they can overcome the challenge with what they've got you know and i love that about the game i love playing it with my friends that way and um I again, you know, people say it's nostalgia, but really getting back into it 15 plus years later, it's just as satisfying as it was to me back when I was 20. All right, so I've been Nate, uh, you've been Tyler, and that is our top 10 games that got us through quarantining. 2020 to 2022 who knows if there's going to be a second episode of this two years from now 2022 to 2024 edition where we discover another 10 games because the nightmare just never ends hopefully it does we look forward to seeing you in person and for you to see your loved ones in person too Mm-hmm. Uh, if for my in my case, I think I'm still going to be chasing that 80% glitchless Earthbound run. In my case, there will still be a uh, active WoW subscription, but I am looking forward to recording more uh, explorations of popular and niche RPGs. <laughs> but I'm actually the, I don't actually have that number here. Hold on, hold on. I have to look this up. Okay, so 
One moment, one moment. I can't believe I missed this part. All right. Well, uh, that was our number fives. Number four? Oh, that was my number four. You have your number four. Oh, right? that was, oh, right. That was number four. I'm looking at the audio sliders, and I can hear that my ice is clinking as I'm drinking my drink. And so maybe I can delete that when in the post-production. <laughs> but, but if someone's speaking over it, then... Hmm. Well, anyways, I wasn't I wasn't hearing it on mine, but maybe we just say, hey, you know, I've got to drink myself here. So maybe we just put that in the audio somewhere that, hey, we're drinking. These casts are probably going to go over a little bit better if we have a tall, stiff drink beforehand. Sorry, this will all be cut. Cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that. A pile of balls. I don't know how to riff off that. I don't know. People talk about the sunk cost fallacy, you know? But hold on, again. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> You're going to have to do that again, over again. Sorry.